Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. This is the podcast that helps you grow your wealth and become financially independent. My name is Becco and my partner, Ari. Hello. This is part two of Cummins. We are talking about this company called Cummins uh, based out of Indiana. They make diesel engines and power generators. If you haven't caught our first episode, please do before you jump onto this one. All right, Harry, you want to start us off with a disclaimer? Yeah, this is the Value Investor TV podcast. We are a podcast that helps you understand the concepts behind value investing. Uh, we are not financial advisors, nor do we know your specific financial situation. So if you are um, making uh, financial decisions, please consult with the appropriate advisor um, before doing so. Great. Um, and as we as we always do with companies, we go through a checklist. And uh, the second part of the episode is always about the second half of the of the checklist, which is financials, management and valuation. So we'll talk about those three things in this episode. Yeah, All right. I'm ready to start when you are. Harry. Yeah, let's let's go through it. Um, so we had talked about the moat uh, in the previous episode and kind of, you know, recapping it for people. Um, the moat had a stronger, um, you know, we had see, seen that their, their, their moat kind of had a high uh, switching cost uh, to pr protect them. Um, and really, that was kind of where we anchored our, our moat to. Um, and we saw a little bit in the way of risks as far as regulatory uh, and, you know, potentially that some of their suppliers are uh, providing a, a great deal of their components. So, you know, we want to also look at how that moat, though, because at the end of the day, if it doesn't turn into cash, uh, it doesn't matter. Um, so how does the company translate the moat that they have into a return on capital? And what does what that return on capital look like? Yeah, so in terms of capital efficiency, uh, I looked at two different metrics. One is return on equity and then return on capital employed. Those are two different relevant and very related uh, metrics, but it measures slightly different things. So I looked at those two metrics for this company. So return on equity um, last year, 2019, it was at 30%. The year before that, 29%. The year before that, 2017, it was around 13%. And then about 20% the year before that. So we're talking about somewhere around 25 to 30 range on average, return on equity. And if I look at return on capital employed, uh, the number is around 21, 20, around 20%. So last year was 21%. The year before that, 22%. The year before that, 2017 was 20. Uh, the year before that, 2017, the, the return on capital employed was about 19%. So somewhere around that range, 20%. So I would say, you know, we always use a discount rate of 10%. Uh, we assume that, uh, you know, we can get about 8% with S&P and just buying a basket of stocks here, we're talking about return on equity of about, you know, about 25% and then return on capital employed of about 20%. So, I mean, it's pretty fantastic, you know, th those numbers. Um, so, I mean, let's keep going through this and just make sure that the rest of the financial situation looks okay. Uh, and, you know, and then we can talk about management and valuation. So um, for those of you who are wondering where we're coming up with this, you know, the, uh, we're using our checklist that you can get, um, uh, if you send us an email info at valueinvestor.org, 
have access to that and then follow along with us. Um, so moving on the financials, um, you know, does the company have enough cash uh, to maintain its business and maybe, you know, give us some numbers there and, you know, what's that cash uh, in relation to their overall market cap? Sure. Um, so just to level set, um, I want to give you market market cap first. So market cap on the time of this recording, uh, and again, we are recording on the 25th of May, the market cap is about $22 billion. So that's kind of the size we're talking about here. Uh, in terms of cash, uh, so this question, so the question here again, just to repeat, is uh, does the company have enough cash to maintain its business? So. Uh, in order to kind of answer that question, I look at a few things. So the first thing I look at is uh, just the working capital, the current ratio. Another ratio I like to look at is quick ratio. So if I look at that, so working capital, uh, you know, what that is, is you're talking about um, the, the current asset minus the current liability. Um, and so if you look at that, um, the, current, the current working capital right now for this company is about $3 billion. And then the current ratio, 1.5. And in terms of kind of the long-term debt, so more of a long-term, uh, if we think, if we look at that, long-term debt is a, is about two point three billion dollars. Um, and if you put that into perspective of the free cash flow, uh, you are talking about. Give me one second. I'm just looking at this number. Uh, total debt of total debt of two point three billion dollars, and then free cash flow last year after. Uh, after capex is about two point four. Okay, so about one time free cash flow. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's the debt levels are pretty reasonable there, and yeah, um, it's very, you know, it's very reasonable, and and I and I I like to kind of think about it in in two different ways. One is short term, and one is long term. I think long term is something that we consistently have mentioned in our podcast. You know, we always look at free cash flow to the, the debt ratio. But I think short term is also important to consider in the face of coronavirus, in the face of, you know, cash crunch that some of some companies might be might be in uh, currently. Um, so I like to look at both and in both fronts, they look pretty healthy, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. And I, I guess the, uh, you know, the the financials that you're using here are the annual report. Um, but, you know, the quarterly report may look very different based on. Um, you know, how bad their orders, go, you know, drop and things like that uh, as yeah. well. Um, so sure. uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep, uh, keep going through here, um, talking a little bit about management. Um, so the question that we have here around management is, you know, are, are, are management properly incentivized to protect uh, shareholder interests uh, over their own? So, you know, what, what do we see there as far as how are they compensated? Yeah, so the compensation, uh, obviously, I think this is the case with all of the companies that are publicly listed. You have the short-term incentive structure and the long-term incentive structure. Uh, what we like to see, Hari and I, what we like to see is really focus on the long-term shareholder return, right? We don't want people to be juicing up their returns by buying back a whole bunch of stocks with borrowed money at a high price. You know, we don't want that misalignment in, in shareholder interest. So that's what we look for here. And um, I like to read a couple of things here. Um, so it's interesting. They, they use for the short term 
bonuses, they use what's called Rona. R-O-A-N-A. It is, what it is, is, um, is earnings before interest and tax, depreciation and amortization, so EBITDA, divided by average net assets. So that's okay. what Rona is. And they didn't use this. They didn't use this before. They just started to use this recently. Um, so uh, prior to 2018, they they measured they measured Rona performance using EBIT instead of EBITDA. So they switched from using EBIT as a numerator to EBITDA as numerator starting in 2019. So that's you know as we talked about in our prior episodes. That's a little, you know, that's a red flag for us. You always want to use EBIT more than EBITDA. Uh, and then uh, and, and in terms of long-term performance measurement, they look at ROIC, return on invested capital, as well as EBITDA. Uh, so those two things. Again, EBITDA comes, comes again here. So ROIC and EBITDA. And then RONA for short-term performance. Yeah, and uh, obviously, you know, for people who don't understand why we wouldn't want EBITDA used and, you know, the, um, <clears throat> it seemingly now expanded the use of, uh, this after I think it was 2018, they changed the gap accounting rules to include, uh, the gain and loss of, um, stocks that have been sold, uh, you know, has affects your net income. So a lot of companies were using EBIT, um, or were either using net income, you know, for earnings per share, uh, but now if you own any marketable securities, you have to adjust your earnings based on that, even though you're, uh, you know, to, to balance the change in the asset uh, side of the house. But the problem with that is then it makes very lumpy uh, earnings, but it's not a cash charge. You know, so that logic has been applied to this this concept of EBITDA, which is the earnings, you know, before interest and taxes, but also in before depreciation and amortization. And a company like Cummins has a very high depreciation cost because they're a manufacturing business. And so their depreciation is actually a real expense and it should be treated as a real expense because ultimately that expense has to be replaced by newer products, um, you know, and, and so on. So, you know, the idea that you would not want to use EBIT anymore to me is very concerning uh, because I think it'll inflate your 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 business value and your you, you know uh, a lot of things you know uh, by doing so um, so anyway what I would I would say to everyone is uh, you know I, that I as Becco said I think that is a red flag you should be very wary of businesses that ever present anything with EBITDA um, and you know I, I've seen additional, you know, letters that get added onto the D and the A uh, there. So, you know, be very um, mindful of that and always stick to the operating income and EBIT uh, instead of using, you know, these these manufactured numbers, right? The, the other one that you can't really mess up is free cash flow. So, you know, using those three, I think, is a much better, um, you know, value, uh, uh, you know, valuation stick. Um, okay. <clears throat> so let's keep moving on here. Um, you know how? Uh, let me let me just oh, let me just chime in just uh just really quickly on that, Hari. Yep. Uh, so I think one redeeming factor in all of this is that prior to 2018-2020 cycle, 
they use ROE as a sole performance measure. So ROE, they just use return on equity. And yep. as we all know, with return on equity, it kind of hides the fact that you have a lot of debt, right? You can really yep. juice up ROE when you have a lot of debt. So it's a redeeming quality that they've used or started to use uh, ROIC instead. Um, and uh, yeah, and they're using ROIC as, you know, that in of itself is a redeeming, redeeming, redeeming factor in what, you know, when we're, when we're talking about this, this management incentive structure. Okay, let's move on to uh, shareholder uh, capital. You know, so we talked about the $2 billion that they generate in free cash flow, uh, a market cap of $22 billion. Um, You know, what are they doing with that excess cash flow? Are they, um, you know, and we've talked about how much debt they have. So they have excess capital there, you know, um, after they're paying off all of their capital expenditures. What are they doing with it? Yeah, so in terms of shareholder uh, returns, uh, immediate returns, uh, there's dividend and then there's there's a common stock purchase, repurchase. Um, if you look at the prior numbers, the dividend, uh, and also they boast the fact that they, they have always increased dividend quarter over or year over year. Okay. So uh, in 2019, they have distributed, dispensed about 760 million dollars in, in dividend payment. And in terms of share buyback, uh, 1.27 billion dollars in share buyback, share repurchase. So in all, about two billion return to shareholder in two different ways. And uh, recently, they committed another two billion repurchase program. Um, towards the end of last year, they committed another two billion of repurchase program. So that's something to note here uh, in terms of uh, shareholder uh, friendliness in terms of capital allocation. So every year, they're about. Uh, reducing their share count by almost five percent. It sounds like, yeah, which is can be very significant going forward. Yeah, it, really, their their share count peaked in two thousand seven. So yeah, two thousand seven eight. Yeah, two thousand seven six. That's when it peaked, and then ever since then it's been dropping. Um, so for about ten thirteen years, it's been dropping uh, from about two hundred thousand or two hundred. About 200 million shares to now about 150 million shares. Okay. All right. Um, let's keep uh, going on here. Um, you know, let's let's actually move on to the uh, the valuation question. Um, so I I think the uh, you know if if you want to you know kind of give us a your assumptions in t- that that are going into this uh, model and then you know talk about what is your your price and your margin of safety price. Yeah. So in terms of, you know, this kind of cash flow, you always want to start with initial cash flow. That is reasonable, right? Cash flow can be can fluctuate here and there. So what I did was I kind of took the average of the last two, three years of free cash flow. And uh, I started with the, you know, obviously you want to be a little bit more conservative when you're doing your analysis. So initial free cash flow, I pegged it as $1.8 billion. Um, uh, and then the growth rate, I said, uh, for the next one to three years, uh, you're talking about, about, you know, on average, I said about 15% and then 13% and then 10% terminal growth. So 15% for the, for the, for year one through three, and then 13% for four to six and 10% for seven to 10 and then discount rate about, of about 10%. 
share uh, number of shares outstanding, as I mentioned, about 150 million. Uh, and then we talked about debt level and cash prior to this. So if we run the number, intrinsic value comes down to about 254, $254 uh, per share. And right now, in the time, time, at the time of this recording, the, the, uh, the company is trading at 155. Um, and um, I'd like to point out that this is obviously a little bit generous in terms of growth rate, given the fact that coronavirus is going to really damage the business. Um, so that's a caveat to this analysis. So if you have 50% margin of safety um, from that intrinsic value that we came up with, it's 100, 130 effectively, 100, 127. And right now it's trading at 155. And, you know, just to, you know, the, the, the growth rate that you talked about here, uh, you said it was 15, 13, and 10, right? Um, you know, for, you know, what, what is the, the, revenue been growing at and what is the um you know the earnings per share have have been growing at yeah so if you look at the cash flow growth free cash flow growth free cash flow growth for the last three years it was 21 percent last five years about 11 percent last 10 year also about 11 percent so that's free cash flow growth and if i look at the eps growth Last three years, 20%. Last five years, 9%. Last 10 years, 20%. This is all compounded annual growth rates. So not just uh, you know one time point to another. This is every year it's growing at about whatever the percentage that I just gave you. Um, and then a top line is growing at 10%, three years, five years, 4%, and the last 10 years, 8%. So it's you know, putting out some respectable numbers for, you know, diesel engine manufacturer, in my opinion. Um, and when you're talking about, you know, something more relevant than top line revenue, like, for example, EPS or free cash flow growth, they're, you know, as I mentioned, they're putting out pretty respectable numbers. Past three years, they compound annual growth rate of 11%, you know, past five years, 10%, and then last 10 years, again, about 11%. So that's where kind of my assumptions came in. Uh, 15, 13, 10%. Obviously, this year, next year is going to take a hit. So I doubt that it's going to be 15%. Um, but, but yeah, that, that's where the numbers came from. Yeah. And, and for those of you who are wondering how uh, you know you can get all of these growth rates, if you go to our website, valueinvestor.org, uh, and type in Cummins, uh, their ticker is CMI. And if you go to the margins profitability and growth tab, you can actually see historical uh, growth rates and uh, historical uh, margins, as well as um, their profitability, return on equity, return on invested capital. So uh, if you look at that tab, you'll actually see a lot of this data year over year, three year uh, trailing, you know, uh, uh, a rolling average of every three years, every five years, 10 years, and so on for every type of metric. And, you know, the interesting part about this is that the earnings per share um, has actually been growing at a, you know, close to a 20% rate. And a lot of that is due to the reduction in the share count, right? And so, you know, we saw this with Southwest Airlines, uh, which, you know, we at the time when we recorded the podcast, you know, that it was pre-coronavirus, huge reduction in their share count was really what was driving their earnings per share growth. Um, you know, and Cummins has the ability to do that. They're never going to be, 
you know, anytime they're purchasing shares on the open market, they're going to be at a pretty good discount to the rest of the market uh, just because of the nature of their business. They're an un unsexy, you know, company, uh, you know, so this is a very interesting company that if, you know, from that standpoint that you can see actually pretty solid growth rates in the, in the, the, the metrics that count, which is the per share metrics. Um, and so, you know, by reducing their share count, you can actually get a, a bigger chunk of the pie uh, without doing anything else. So, uh, you know, this is definitely one of those share cannibal companies that, um, you know, we, we really like because uh, for doing nothing, you can essentially, even with limited growth on the top line, they can still grow the bottom line. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It can be very attractive in that light, for sure. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, we're not quite at your, you, 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 let's going back to your intrinsic value, you said it was around $250 a share. Uh, uh, it, was that right? Yeah, 250, again, with those growth rates, right? So, you know, it, we can also just like discount the first growth rate by, you know, we set it at 15%, but, you know, you can always play around with the number. So you can, you guys can, you know, feel free to do that yourself. But, uh, you know, given our growth rate, 15, 13, and 10%, intrinsic value came out to be about $250 per share. Yes. Yeah. And on uh, Friday, um, Cummins closed at $155 a share. So, you know, we're not quite to a 50% discount. Um, probably need to be closer to $125 a share for that. Um, but, you know, um, you know, I, depending on how bad things come out on earnings report, you know, we may see some of those numbers show up again. Um, and they certainly dropped, you know, when the rest of the market dropped below that 125 number, I think they dropped to as low as $115 a share. So, um, you, yeah. you could get them at a fairly significant discount. Yeah, I just, I just did something interesting um, just to kind of prove our point here with the discounted cash flow analysis. So I just I just put in, in my calcula calculator here, 0% growth for the first three years, 0%. Um, so, you know, negative growth this year, but, you know, next year it balances out to net zero. If you put that in and then keep the growth rate for 4 to 6, 7 to 10, 13 and 10, like we did, the intrinsic value comes down to about $174 per share. So net you know, margin of safety about 87%. So really this this company right now is trading like like kind of in this scenario where the market is assuming that there's not going to be any growth, um, you know, perhaps ne negative growth uh, more like because we set 0% negative growth for the first three years. Yeah, has the company issued any sort of guidance or have they suspended guidance for the year or... I haven't looked at that, um, but one thing that I have seen is um, kind of thinking about the long or short term, short to medium term cash crunch. Um, I looked at that, and really, bulk of their debt is due in three years, twenty twenty three. Uh, about five hundred million um, is really due, and then before then, really not much. Principal payment due in twenty twenty is thirty one million dollars. And around there for the next three years. Yeah, and so and th that's more than covered by cash flow uh, yeah. for a while. So it, it doesn't sound like there's any risk there. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've done a pretty good uh, job on covering this. You know, it sounds like there's an interesting business here for 
uh, further research, um, certainly someone to, something to put on your watch list um, to look at, you know, in the future. Um, so, Becco, do you have any other thoughts about Cummins before we close out? Uh, no, this uh, just just the last couple words on the company. It is it is an interesting company. I mean, I think I, I just mentioned a couple of things. One is the the beauty of value investing is that you get to learn about various industries. Like for me, Cummins diesel engine industry, I had no clue. And walking into this, you know, you get to do a lot of research and understand the business, and get to see a, a side of industry and side of the world that you never had exposure to. So. That's the beauty of value investing. I encourage everyone to do it. Uh, and the, the second thing is, this company is not really a sexy company like you mentioned, Hari. You know, it's not a darling of Wall Street. Everyone's talking about Google and Apple, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but there are, you know, tons of companies out there that are producing respectable numbers like this company. And it's, you know, it's doing well in terms of, you know, putting out numbers. So, uh, so I would say, you know, keep your eyes out for companies like this. It could be interesting business an interesting business to invest in when the time is right. All right. Well, um, that uh, I think that'll wrap us up here. Um, just a couple of things. If you are interested in getting on to uh, having discussions with our community, you can send us an email, info at valueinvestor.org, uh, and we can hook you up with a Slack uh, invite so that you can talk to us. Uh, as we've mentioned before, um, you know, and on this show, um, we have a website, valueinvestor.org, uh, where you can do your own, um, you know, start looking at companies um, and do your own research. Um, you know, we've been making that available to uh, people on the Slack community to have them kind of test things out as we start building things out. Uh, Becco and I have done a lot of work uh, on that, and we're going to continue to do a lot of work to make out uh, a lot of new features that are there to help uh, help you guys to, you know, kind of understand what uh, and and find new businesses to do your initial analysis and then, you know, kind of dig deeper once you start finding companies that way. So um, a lot, lot more to come here in the future. So we really hope that you uh, can take a look, uh, check out uh, valueinvestor.org. And um, if you do so, please um, send us any feedback that you have. Um, we'd love to hear from you about it and so that we can also improve the website. Um, you know, um, so yeah. Anything else you got, Becco? No, that's it. I'm glad you guys are able to join us today. I uh, hope you guys stay safe. 